Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. We've got a special guest, Joseph Griffin, today. And we're going to be discussing his dynasty rankings. They were put out a couple of weeks ago. So nice and fresh before the NFL draft. And we're going to talk about process. We're going to talk about player value and just discuss players because we're heading into the NFL draft. It's going to be that boggle container that gets shuffled up with the rookies, with situations. Who is going to get the Trey Mason treatment? Uh, who are we not going to expect? to get heavy competition could be quarterback this year uh, could be those veterans that lose value could be going to block situations for some of these rookies bad situations uh, but it's going to going to affect uh, these veterans and we were talking about our Falcon fandom uh, for, for various cross sections of our of our lifetimes here and we also talked about you know putting out rankings just in general so great to have you here Joseph and looking forward to diving into your to your rankings I, I everyone should check them out they're at dynasty griff underscore ff over there on Twitter. Thanks so much, Chad. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for, for taking notice of me and, and the rankings invite me to come on. So congrats, yeah, by the way, on I heard you hit 500 shows recently. So congrats. That's, that's quite the milestone. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, not one sick day. Well, lots of sick days, but but not with <laughs> one missed weekly show due to said sick days. Um, but yeah, just press record. And I always say for, for folks starting out, um, I mentioned I started out at a site that was Go Ahead Score, and I started writing about dynasty startups incessantly for thousands of words at a time, just having a platform, you know. And I always say there's so much power. It doesn't matter if currently you're a big name because everybody has a voice and everyone has, has value that puts time, attention into it. And you definitely do. Anyone that puts out rankings. And what I would say is before you can critique anybody's rankings, do your own and share them with somebody. Some sort of platform, whether it's a forum where you share a link to a Google Drive, I don't care. Because once you do them, I think you inherently have more respect for those that do them. And you're going to be a little more selective in what questions you ask. And if you are critical or do disagree, and I'm sure at some point during the show, we'll disagree, but it's about hearing, you know, the other side, the, the, the ranker side and, and hearing them out and basically understanding the process that goes into it. Because you mentioned this is your first off season doing them back in December, January timeframe and a few iterations since then. Um, but it really does clarify, even if you just play, Play Dynasty, even if you're not running a website or have a podcast or whatever, you still, uh, it clarifies what you think about the players because you, you now, I mean, what I love, and, and just start with this, you actually put a column about pick value. And I've said before, whether it's tiers uh, or some sort of reference point of what, how divided are these players? I really think that that has to be, if someone just ranks one through 50 of any position, that doesn't tell much because is it two to three is a big gap? 10 to 20 is a big gap. But the fact that you put in pick values, I think is you're already ahead of so many rankers out there because that is context that most do not have. 
Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I've always tried to do the tiers because I think, especially with Dynasty, you know, you can have so many different approaches to your team, you know, that you can be depending on whether you're trying to, to win now or whether you're trying to, you know, go for a rebuild and, and focus on youth. And you can have a lot of variance within within the same tier or even between, you know, adjoining tiers with that, that it's, it's really helpful to me to have those tier breaks and to know whether I'm in a startup draft. And that was kind of the rankings initially was, was kind of designed to, you know, be, be used in a startup draft. You know, th this is how, if I was doing a startup draft tomorrow, here's how I'd kind of look at my ranks and here's how I would kind of draft these players, at least, at least by positional value. Um, of where we look at that, you know, kind of, kind of balancing out, you know, the youth and experience with that. So I think a quarterback, uh, looking through here, I would say one theme is you seem to value either a production and profile and track record or the high level prospect of that, meaning that you think that they are capable of that by looking at guys like say maybe Tua Tagovailoa, who's in your top 12, um, guys like that. The first guy, I, and I think you've probably handled a few questions on this. So how are you handling? And it's a little bit of a leading question here because Deshaun Watson is relatively low for you. And I would, ask, I would ask five to 10 months ago, where would Watson have been for you? And talk through the process where you value him as a late as a late first round pick in Superflex. I would assume that yeah, Superflex value. And so to sure. talk talk about your off the off the field is certainly a component here, and then specifically about Watson. Absolutely, and, and this this is just heartbreaking for me. Obviously, first and foremost, the situation you know with with all these women involved is is got to be the paramount of this, and you know just such an unfortunate situation. And you know the, I can't really speak about all the situation going on with this, but you know I just you know just, just purely from the player standpoint, he's always been a favorite of mine. You know, again, growing up a Falcons fan, and you know him him having that involvement with the Falcons growing up, and then just watching with Clemson, and you know he's he's been a favorite of mine and, and someone that I really really value a lot. And he, he was actually my first rankings and. December, January, he was my QB two, um, so I mean, he, he was definitely that tier below Mahomes. But he was he was the top of my QB two, my, my second tier, um, you know, even above Allen. Um, and I actually took him in a startup, um, right, a pick above Allen, uh, just in February. So, you know, before all this stuff came out with that. So, you know, to bump him down to where I have him now at, at QB sixteen, you know, it, it's really just a look. It's really kind of just a situation that I want to avoid if I can help it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where there gets a certain point where the value is there, you know, kind of where I have him in my ranks. I feel like the value is such that, you know, if you're trading away for much less than what I have him on here for, you know, pick 110, 112 range, you know, you're really, you're really not banking on guaranteed stuff from, from the guys behind him too much more. I have Matt Ryan right behind him, um, you know, who obviously has, you know, I think two or three, two or three saw years of production left, but I don't think the ceiling is there for, for Ryan as it is for Watson. You know, if, if, you know, I, at this point, I'm counting on Watson being out for all of 2021, potentially even into 2022. Um, I, I'm, I'm under the impression that regardless of what situation happens legally for him right now, that the Texans don't intend on or he doesn't intend on playing the Texans this year. So, you know, at this point, I think they'll likely I think they'll likely sit on Watson this year and then try to trade him next offseason, hoping things have blown over by then. And, and yeah. he may still face the suspension even then. So I, I kind of view him as almost like a 2023 first of sorts of things. Like you're kind of betting on not getting anything this year, possibly nothing next year, but you're hoping he comes back, you know, okay. strong and, a couple of years and, with and that. This is, so this is interesting though. And I'm, I'm glad we're starting with him because you mentioned he was your QB too. And certainly high up in that secondary tier behind Patrick Mahomes before all of this. And that was before sure. also, I mean, wait, in January, was he unhappy? Uh, if memory serves, was he already? He, he was, I, he, he was I, expressing. I okay. 
yeah, he was expressing January and early February, and and I really had a, a you know again I had him right there. He he and Josh Allen were right there, kind of neck and neck for me. And I was just it was one of those things. I was in a league, and I you know I was right there. And the the, the whole contract situation made me nervous. The whole trade request was out there at the time, but it was one of those things of you know I was thinking maybe if he gets a trade, he ends up in an even better situation than he's in now. And he's been elite in you know a bad situation for the last few years. And so you know if he he gets traded somewhere like Denver or Carolina or that he could even even see a, a jump from from where he was at that. So I was willing to take on the risk of that. Plus, again, just being one of my favorite players, I enjoyed. You know, I I, I dug into his profile versus Allen's, and you know, I know obviously Allen has the big rushing upside and the big touchdown upside uh, on that sense of things. But you know, Allen's rushing numbers were were very similar to um, to Watson's, and so there wasn't as much of a discrepancy as I originally would have thought looking at it too. So you know, I, I thought the ceiling is similar. I think he's a much better passer than. Allen has shown other than last year. So I, I think his ceiling long-term is still higher, again, aside from all this situation off the field. So let's fast forward to a point where wh- whatever suspension, let's assume he is not going to jail and he is going to be back playing. Let's say it is for week one, 2022. Let's use a middle point. Like, like So let's assume he's out all this year. Mm-hmm. And so it is 12 months from now, 14 months from now, something like that. Deshaun Watson projected to start for week one and let's if he's been traded not traded whatever he's projected to start for an NFL team just project ahead based on that alone where would you see adjusting him back to at that point now that we have sort of the suspension when will he play next behind him. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the situation in regards of what happens legally with things, I think is going to probably give a cloud over his dynasty value. Even then, I, I think people are going to kind of, you know, I, I think we you know, did it with Tyreek and things like that, which is obviously a different situation with that, you know, where he bounced back once that that kind of cloud got past him with that. And, you know, Ezekiel Elliott a few years ago with the suspension he had for a few games there at the beginning, you know, kind of took a hit there and then, and then bounced back with that. So I, he would be in that he would be in that second tier um, that, that includes six or seven guys right now. I don't think I would have him probably quite as high as I did, depending on how some of these other guys perform. Um, but I think he would definitely be in that, that second tier, just based on talent alone. You know, if he comes back, especially if he comes back and demonstrates that he's still got, he's still got it, you know, the, the same factor he's had all along with that talent wise and production wise, I think I, I'd still feel comfortable ranking him in that range. It's just that uncertainty, you know, and, and a lot of my rankings too, just from a general process of things. And, you know, part of why I put the pick value in there is I, I love trading. I, I'm kind of trading obsessed with uh, in my dynasty leagues. And so, you know, looking at this and kind of seeing, and I had Watson on two or three teams with this. And so, you know, looking at his value and how it's changed and trades <laughs> over the last, um, you know, couple of months and a few weeks with that, you know, is, is part of what led to this ranking of this and, you know, trying to see what I could get from, from the league where I drafted the startup a few, a few months ago and, and seeing how, uh, how that value is tanked there for that, you know, it, it's a big factor in that, you know, because when I still value the town a lot, um, obviously I'm disappointed in the situation and, and uh, you know, the way he's um, reportedly acted in this and, you know, obviously that's still to be determined and I'm no, I'm no judge in that, but again, it just, it's disappointing um, to, to see this and, and to see, you know, the way this has all gone down with that. But again, I think, from a pure talent standpoint of things, I think he would definitely bounce back for me in that in that second tier behind Mahomes. Yeah, the um, I've actually found that I've acquired I think two shares in Superflex since you know it's just kind of this 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 uh, roller coaster ride has continued down you know that that elevation change and a lot of it for me is if I've got a couple other solid quarterbacks, I've found that. Oh, absolutely. Trading, trading, you know, like for example, you know, I traded Trey Lance just the other day, essentially straight up for, for Sean Watson. And, 
you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, the, this 50% type hit rate and still what is, what is the ceiling with these incoming quarterbacks that the risk of a rookie quarterback, not really having the ceiling that you might think or panning out at all, or even now with the microwave society that that's going on in all of these NFL front offices of like, ah, you're not the guy, ah, I'm moving on. You're not even making your rookie deal anymore. So there is a decent chance that, you know, some of these, the, the, some of the big five, two or three of them, you know, aren't even going to make their rookie deals potentially, you know, of like, we don't feel good about them. Sam Darnold type of already moving on to another team and sure. you know, they have a big discount. So for Watson, at least what I always keep saying is at least you don't have that. I don't know if they can play factor. Yeah. Uh, we at least know for multiple years now, he has played at a high level at the NFL. Absolutely. So that, that is one comfort because the NFL, because quarterback is the one position where you're like, there is such a huge processing elevation when you go to the NFL that so many can't hang and be one of the top even 20 in the world at doing what they do. Um, I want to ask you one other thing, which is, man, doesn't it get dicey when you start trying to rank outside of about 20, 25 guys? Oh, because absolutely. Absolutely. You have for backups. Sure. And one thing I wanted to ask you about was Jordan Love, because He's going as a first rounder on ice right now. He's going to get an opportunity to start at some point. Absolutely. And he's being groomed. And I mean, I guess it would be the ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, sign if, if the Packers were to do something else. Like if Aaron Rodgers is gone, let's say next offseason, mm -hmm. and then they do something with a veteran or draft somebody. And it's like, that tells you everything you need to know. So I guess there is some Absolutely. variance there. But I just wanted to ask, because you, you have a number of retreads and you even have Taysom Hill <laughs> ahead of him to where if Jordan Love, when he starts or is projected to start, I would imagine he'd be higher than 25, 30 or so just on the prospect of he's been maturing. He's been waiting for sure. And the Packers have done this before. It's kind of like the lineage of Aaron Rodgers. of like, there's the potential there that the Packers really know what they're doing in that capacity with an arm talent. And so with Taysom Hill, he's, he was one that I really loved the upside possibility, but the fact that they brought back and I think Winston's going to be pretty much the starter. And I think, you I agree. think he will be as well. Yeah, yeah I so do. Yeah, Taysom I do. Hill in his thirties, it, you know, obviously the saints have gone a different direction here. I find obviously the upside is big with Taysom Hill. If he actually were the starter, but I just wonder if he's ever going to get that full fledged opportunity. And he's yeah. already a lot older than people think. For sure. And, and I forget how old he is at sometimes too with that as well. But, you know, for me, ranking, ranking Taysom higher was all about that, you know, uncertainty of sorts, you know, with New Orleans, you know, Sean Payton, you know, there's no telling what, what he'll do now moving forward with that. I, I assume it's, I assume it's Winston. I've, I've been trading for Winston everywhere I can get him. I uh, really, and, and drafting him in leagues when I have to start up as well. So I, I think he's the guy moving forward, but it wouldn't shock me if, if Taysom, you know, starts the year as the guy, or at some point they turn to him at some point. So I and think the upside, right? I mean, he the, could the, be, he could the be rushing upside he brings, you know, absolutely right. for sure. So I think that just that rushing, that Konami code upside he brings is kind of what led me to, to rank him a little higher than, than love. And I really have come along. I appreciate your, your, your comments on, on my rankings about love and, and Taysom there too. Cause it, I, that's one thing I love about putting rankings out there is it helps me challenge my process and helps me, maybe rethink some guys and, and where I had them. And maybe if I, if I should reevaluate that's that's some more. And I, and I definitely have, have come around some on that. I, I heard um, a shout out to the, the dynasty duos podcast here with uh, Tyler Carp and CJ Krauss. You know, they were talking about Jordan love a week or two ago and, and mentioning about the fact that, you know, Aaron Rodgers actually, they had the chance to, to restructure his contract 
uh, a couple of times this off season, they've passed on both times, which, you know, again, for, for cap reasons. And, you know, if, if that, that team's going to compete, it, it makes a lot of sense for them. Like the Falcons do with Matt Ryan to restructure his deal to kind of push some cap out for future years. And the fact they haven't done that, you know, does maybe speak to the fact that maybe they're looking at something different with that. And so just, just that alone, that speculation alone, maybe would make me bump love back up. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know as much about Jordan Love. I actually don't watch a lot of college football. So, you know, I, I do my, my dynasty rankings and I'm still kind of mid process my rookies right now. I, I do a lot of that, just watching some, some things that dynasty and film room and other, other areas to kind of catch up on them and catch up on all the rookies with that. So I don't see him as much of that. And I'm not as familiar with love in his game. Um, so I, the, the draft capital is great. Uh, but it's one of those things that I don't know what, you know, what, what exactly he's going to bring, you know, when he does see the field and the opportunity at, at that point, looking at my rankings, thinking he may sit for a year or two, you know, just, just that value. Again, it's like you're kicking out, you know, that chance, you know, down the road a couple of years potentially. But again, if he starts next year where Aaron Rodgers goes down this year, his value is going to skyrocket for sure. Yeah. I, um, I actually had to go back and like you were just saying, I mean, it's been a little while since Jordan Love has really put out some tape, you know, didn't really didn't yeah. have a preseason. It'd be great. You know, it, it we're projected to have one this season, which yeah, for sure. would help a lot. I, I know I felt as a dynasty owner where there's a lot of guys that you just, you get to look at in the preseason and, and you may not see them much in the pre in the, regular season at all. And, and love was one of those guys. I, I got offered him in a counter offer in, in some trade. I ultimately accepted and got him in a super flex for pretty cheap, but I did go back and rewatch some college stuff just to, to reacclimate myself with his game and saying, what am I investing here? And there's a lot of, you know, Zach Wilson sort of, and, and there was a lot of, you know, poor man, homeless man, Patrick Mahomesian type oh, well. stuff going on with him. Yeah. He's coming out. So obviously he didn't go super high in the first round, but the fact that that natural live arm and talent is there. And the fact that if he reigns that in a little bit, I know turnovers were his bugaboo um, to some extent in college, but you know, yeah, if he's being groomed and, and you know, I, I think it, I know it doesn't make sense from a optimize the salary cap and, you know, get, get squeeze some juice and from that apple, that's your first round pick in the NFL. I get all that, but I really do think if you draft somebody and they can sit for a year or two years, they, we probably would have a higher hit rate on to learn. I mean, can you imagine going and and being behind like Rogers or breeze or Fitzpatrick or just some established veteran and you have minimal pressure to start, Hey, come in, learn the ropes. You just came out of college. And instead of leading a franchise and a team in a city, what if you just sat and and kind of yeah. waited your turn? And I just and that used to be the way it was, you know that that was the way it was, and until just the last I feel like the last few years that's been that that push. Let's get the rookie in there like right away, and let's, season at the let's see what they let's see what they can do. Yeah, exactly. Let's you know unless you're competing and pushing the playoffs, let's get that rookie in there mid season. Let's see what they can do and see what you have, and whether you need to invest next year again and all over again with that. I feel like the leash is much shorter on on the rookies now than it was before too. You know, you've got to produce, you've got to produce immediately. And some of these guys have come in and done that. I think that makes sets an unfair expectation for a lot of these quarterbacks coming in, but they should do that as well. So I, I do think, you know, that the sitting approach is, is great for their, their development, things like that too. So I think we may see that with some of these rookies with maybe Trey Lance or these guys that maybe need, Someone's need gonna you know, get blocked. Someone's going to be quote unquote blocked. Sure. Yeah. And we've been talking, I, I think Jordan McNamara and I, we've been talking for most of this off season about, 
what is that quarterback going to be valued in rookie drafts when you get blocked? Because we know what happens with running backs. It's like, oh, you have minimal chance to start. The Alexander Madison effect, you know, or, or uh, James Conner effect where you're just going to plummet. And so are they really going to let a quarterback plummet if, let's say, quarterback three, or no, I, I guess it would be quarterback four. Let's say they go to Atlanta. Matt Ryan's going to start there for this yep. year, maybe beyond that. Who knows? But are they going to plummet to like 111, 201 or something of super flex drafts? That's going to be a really interesting. Yeah. How does the market or community for sure make a decision overall? Um, shifting to running back, there's always these players and, and running back is going to be an easy one to ask <laughs> us about that are for just sure. difficult to rank for you. Absolutely. So, Who's that guy in retrospect or going back to when you, when you made the, your last ranking update, who's that player where you maybe moved him around two or three times, or you still look at it and you go, I just don't feel super confident. I could be way wrong on this, whether it's in either direction. Yeah, there's a few of those guys. I mean, one of those is obviously Derek Henry for me. I, I think he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, is, is hitting that, you know, kind of age, apex where a lot of running backs start to decline, but he's been so consistent for so long the past few years now with that and durable with, with the number of carries he's getting with that. So it's one of those things where, you know, if I'm drafting him in a startup with that, and especially if my team's skewing younger with that anyway, you know, it, I just don't feel like you're going to get the trade value back for him. But again, if you got him, I, I wouldn't, I necessarily wouldn't trade, trade him away for, for the picks I've got listed next to necessarily or look to trade him for that if I've got him on a competing team. So it, it's one of those things of I wouldn't be looking to acquire him but if I've got him um, on a team and, and I'm, I'm in a good position there, unless I can get a great deal for him for, you know, a younger running back that I think has a higher ceiling for longer um, you know, I'm likely going to hang on to him um, where I've got him with that. So he, he's one for me. I, I had him at RB12 um, I, right there behind um, Mixon and ahead of CH. Um, so right, right at the kind of the end of that second tier running back for me. So, you know, I, I could I could see the argument of him going as high as, you know, seven or eight or even higher with that. But, you know, for me, it's, it's just that value is, is likely going to continue to decline, even if he continues to perform well. I think he's going to likely lose value because, I mean, he just hit 2,000 yards. And, you know, I think his DLF ADP, I think, is right around running back 11 right now for, for April. So um, it's your like startup draft. So it's, it's, it's even even with the 2,000-yard season, it's still not – you're not getting that bump like you would expect on, you know, well, someone like Saquon Barkley like did that, you know. Time, this seems like the time where this – if you want to get a first and something else for Derrick Henry, this is the last offseason to do it. For and sure. That's not to say you have to do it, but you kind of no, have no. to be locked into saying – I'm going to be in this for the ride and the ride sure. could be all the way till 30 years old. It yeah. could be some running back two seasons. It could be where he's eroding, but yet he's still not droppable. Cause if you don't sell for a first plus right now, you're probably not going to sell for a second plus next off season. If he has any prospect of starting, you know, or the year after, you know, when he's, you know, still around or whatever, you're not going to sell him for a third. So it's almost like in, in what is it in for a penny in for a pound or for sure, or however the phrase goes, I wanted to ask specifically about some of these primary backup or let's call them, injury away plus players mm -hmm. that there's big upside from them. Now, the one thing I would ask, because th these, these players seem similar for this okay. year alone or for the short term of until something changes that you have Gus Edwards significant. Mm -hmm. Well, Kareem Hunt is a little different because he's actually, you know, flex viable or even uh -huh. running back to viable. So I'm going to exclude him, but Gus Edwards, for example, you've got later, you've got Tony Pollard, about, I don't know, five plus spots. And then way out into the distance, let's ahoy matey. You're like, we're looking for land here. You got my guy, Alexander Madison, like 15 spots behind Gus Edwards. So I've got to ask, 
are they really that different in terms of what needs to happen you know, for them to be viable, basically they all need an injury and then there's big upside with all three sure. of those guys. So I would just say, and I guess I would push back by saying, wouldn't Madison be the most likely or Pollard and Madison over Edwards in terms of outside of an injury of their existing team, aren't they more likely with like a second contract or team change to actually be viewed as a starter and Gus Edwards probably less likely of doing that? Yeah, I think long term, I definitely would prefer both of those guys over, um, you know, over Gus Edwards. I, I think with Edwards, I think with with Baltimore and the way they're deploying their running back room right now, it seems like they want to split the load. You know, even even last year with Ingram involved, um, you know, and Dobbins coming in, you know, Ed, Ingram was involved. I uh, know, um, and he was so great a couple of years ago too. So um, it's 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 amazing how fast things change with that. But um, yeah, so I, you know, for me, long term, I definitely I, I love Pollard. I, I like. Um, Madison a lot. Um, I, I think he's definitely probably someone I got. I was too low on with that, but for, you know, for, for me, those two guys, you know, it's, it's more so about immediate chance to have an impact now versus long-term, you know, Edwards coming back to Baltimore. I, I definitely think they're going to see a split workload with that. So I think he's got an opportunity now to, to be viable now. Whereas, you know, Pollard and Madison both, both need an injury for that to happen for that. I feel like, you know, Pollard, we may see worked in a little more this year with that, but you know, with Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin cook ahead of them, you know, what they've shown in the last couple of years is, you know, outside of injury or a few plays here and there, you're not going to see them get a heavy workload um, with that. Whereas, you know, right now, you know, they've got the same kind of upside if the starter in front of them goes down. But, you know, at least to me anyway, Gus Edwards has an opportunity to, to contribute to a team. If, if you're if you're desperate for an RB2, RB3 type, he can come in he can come in and be flex viable for you now or, or viable in those spots now in, in a deeper league. Whereas Pollard and, and, and Madison, um, you know, you're not really going to see maybe that production right now. I, I, I do think people were hard on Madison last year, um, you know, when he first came in that Atlanta game, you know, watching that game and, and seeing him, you know, there was nothing I think anyone could have done. I think Dalvin Cook would have been shut down in that game too. Just and it the went way sideways. That, that game went. That it game. did go sideways. Yeah. It did. It did. And, but and, but the narrative was, after that was all about how, how bad Madison was and, oh, he looks awful and you can't count on him and that. And I do still like him a lot. I do like his upside quite a bit. Um, so it, talked, in retrospect about that before the yeah. show is you gotta, yeah. you gotta watch some of these games and the context is really, really important because if you come out of that and box score scout and you're like, that's it, Madison's horrible. And remember mm-hmm. the year before Madison had one game that he mm-hmm. could have had a start and he ended up being out um, that game when, uh, when Dalvin cook missed. So uh, to me, this is, I, I kind of say Madison is the opposite of James Connor where Connor got a full fledged. You didn't really see that when they drafted Connor this coming that Le'Veon Bell was going to end up being a holdout. It was going to go out the whole year. And then all of a sudden it's Connor's job. In addition to that year, like that is a perfect storm where Madison really hasn't had the, he's had sort of the Marshawn Lynch effect of like the starter has stayed relatively healthy in front of him for multiple seasons. To me, that's just, you know, that, that's rolling snake eyes and you just don't have luck on your side as a primary sure. backup that can hang. Um, the other guy that I was, oh, can you imagine that there's a faction out there right now that, that thinks Tony Pollard is going to like take Ezekiel Elliott's job? There's actually yeah, part I, of, of... For sure, for sure, running yeah. Running back Twitter that feels that way. <laughs> People are definitely hopeful for sure. And, and I'm not as high on, on, on Zeke as others as well with that too. Because I, I do think Pollard has a chance to take more of a workload this year maybe than he did. I think he showed very well at the end of last year. And I think they do maybe want to get him involved more, maybe limit, limit some of Zeke's touches 
more so moving forward, but I, I do still think he gets the lion's share of work there with that. So and he's definitely proven um, that he's a obviously he's a an elite runner um, in the NFL. So I don't think he showed too much last year, slowing down until the offense just went off the rails when when Dak got hurt. So to get another another perspective, because I noticed that, and, and this may be you know if I give you another two three names to list at running back of who's tough to rank and who's tough to value. Mm-hmm. I think one of the answers may be Aaron Jones because oh, I, I agree. see you have him at running back 17. I don't know if you'll end up having maybe one or two rookies ahead of him, TBD, but um, he is one that I found I was always below market. And actually you have him right around where I have him in my rankings mm-hmm. that, but now that he's going back to green Bay, I mean, this is a, an, a best case scenario that frankly, we weren't expecting, you know, that they didn't offer him a contract. They didn't franchise tag him. And they, then all of a sudden he gets signed, you know, signed back. And AJ Dillon goes from glorious, you know, glorious Yahtzee to, you know, well, he's still the number two. Jamal Williams isn't going to be there. So I'm still pretty excited about that because Aaron Jones really hasn't been the, the workhorse type guy, but with Aaron Jones, older side, but it looks like a two-year kind of construction, even though it's a four-year deal. And I think that's Indeed. smart on Green Bay's part. But you say he's been in the top five or six. And in his sure. offense, I mean, this is, I mean, it feels like what you were saying about Derrick Henry kind of applies here with Aaron Jones. Absolutely. Of, Absolutely. You're looking in a one to two-year window, that is a lot of production to value on the quote unquote low side, but yet it's hard for me to totally buy in that. It's not going to be like a 50, 50 split and they still don't have big plans for AJ Dillon. And I just don't, it's a quizzical signing to me. So where were you on Jones before? Like if we had looked at your January, December rankings, where was he like, is he moving up for you or is this sort of begrudgingly? I still am not a fan. Yeah. That's curious. I'm actually going to go back and look now and see, I have to see where he was at that. Um, you know, I, I think he's about the same range he was. I, I think, you know, I think that the Green Bay resigning was was big for him in the sense of it, it gives him that stability. You kind of know what to expect, aside from the possibility that maybe AJ Dillon comes in and gets more of the goal line work and things like that. You know, I think it locks him into a, you know, higher octane offense and things for, for longer with that, which is great. You know, I think, you know, the, the downside of that is, you know, his workload may be capped um, a little bit with that. So I actually had him actually had him in January. I had him at, at RB15. So I actually bumped him down a couple with that. So it, it, to no fault of his own with that anyway, I think I've just bumped up maybe some of the, some of the rookies, uh, some of the second-year players a little more in that range since that time. Um, but, but yeah, I think he's definitely in that, in that tier, you know, that third tier for me. I, I could see him, you know, as high as high as RB ten or twelve with that even, um, but you know for me you know the, the potential upside of him going somewhere else, the allure of that maybe um, that the the hope was he went somewhere like Miami and he got you know more of a lion's share of a workload with that there than he, he maybe he gets in Green Bay. But I think he's in a great situation. He's definitely one of those running backs that you know I'd be targeting if I missed out on one of those top tier guys that could be you know a dependable you know RB one uh, RB two type for for at least the next couple of seasons. So. My uh, my general theme or observation at wide receiver for you is that you are projectable, is what I would say. That okay. when a young wide receiver shows something of, let's call it above baseline, uh, talent or situation combo with uh, situation and production, you're going to put them way up there. Um, and, and what I would ask you is... For wide receivers that have been there and done that for two, three, four years, 
uh, maybe even in a row. Do you think that there's risk there or is it specific to the players? Like, let's just, you know, you can rattle them like Jefferson and, uh, you know, CD lamb specifically T Higgins is way up there for you. Brandon mm-hmm. Ayuk, um, those types that their resume is relatively small for sure. Uh, you know, that it's the prospect of, so I would, I guess I would ask is, is it because if they build on what they've already done, that they are going to be so otherworldly costly that, I mean, they could easily go up and we had that, you know, f- four to six week span. It felt like we had a new wide receiver one in dynasty of like, who's ever 21, <laughs> 22 years old and who just sure. went for 150 yards. They're the new wide receiver one for, for five days <laughs> is how it worked out on for Twitter, sure. uh, a few months ago. But so is it specific to the players or would you be the same way? You know, if we start getting two or three of the 21 class, you know, by October, November, on a similar track, or is it specific to guys like Lamb and uh, and Ayuk, uh, T. Higgins, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm big on the talent of, the, of these guys. I mean, I, I think, I, and honestly, again, I'm still kind of diving into this class. So to answer that part of things, I'm, I'm still kind of diving in. I, I'm definitely high um, on on Jamar Chase, and I think he definitely has the the ability to kind of jump into that, you know top tier or, or, or kind of the, the next tier up with, with, you know, Higgins and McLaurin and Ayuk and those guys with that as well, you know, if he lands in the right spot and, and it can produce well, I think, I think he's definitely got that long-term, you know, alpha wide receiver potential with that. Uh, whereas I think we've got a lot of guys in this class that are more slot receivers and things like that. So for me, he definitely, you know, has the potential to jump up that. I definitely think I tend to favor, you know, the, kind of alpha wide receiver build and, and mold of the guy can come in there and be the X receiver and, you know, and, and command those targets, you know, the Julio Jones type or the guys like that, that really have that potential, you know, athletic profile plus draft capital plus, plus talent that can really, can really be long-term assets for you. Um, you know, Jefferson, Metcalf, Adams, AJ Brown, are, are my top four. Those guys, you know, are all so close for me, you know, Tyree kill Diggs you know, are right there too um, with that. So it, it's, it's really tough to rank those guys. I think, you know, just purely from, from what I'm seeing with that and what I've seen from them, uh, what they produce in that, again, I, I, like you said, I think they, if they continue to build on what they've done, I think the sky's the limit for, for value and, and production wise there. So I think getting one of those guys to build your team around, especially in the startup draft, you know, where you, we don't, where you're not necessarily knowing if you're going to be competing or, or, you know, you may end up, more of a rebuilding team, you know, going into that after, after year one, I think those, these guys give you a lot of, um, of upside, um, that, that you can maybe retain the value on, even if they don't, these guys have like, even if they come out and they don't produce maybe to the same level they did last year, I think they're going to retain a lot of value based on what they've done already. So it gives you the opportunity to, to, to move out of these guys if you want to without, without losing a lot. Whereas a guy, where a guy that's a little bit older, that's been around for a while, um, comes out and, and starts to show a decline. I think people are going to be off him a lot more easily. But I, I am new to Dynasty, so it, it, I'm still trying to kind of adjust my process with this to to kind of see you know what this looks like and and kind of go with what the market's valuing here um, a little more in my my ranking and thinking. So maybe I did even a few months ago with this. I think the passing game that has a lot of variance going into this year, and heck, maybe it changes with the prospect of a quarterback being added in the NFL draft is the Denver Broncos. And I haven't, uh, we haven't gotten to tight end yet with Noah Fant, but you've got Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton in the top 25, which when you say legitimate Drew Locke centered questions to lead that (laughs) offense, that is a lot of dynasty capital with Fant and those two wide receivers specifically. And and it's not like KJ Hamler is a slouch either, 
yeah. for saying it's on a team without a quarterback that many people have much confidence in. And we might be churning it to a rookie quarterback. And we know what, you know, roadblocks could be there developmentally for, sure. for, for a rookie. Yes, Sutton might not be there in 2022. It might, you know, thin the herd and make mm-hmm. things easier. And I mean, Judy and Fant might be great by that point because they've got a, a rookie quarterback that's going into year two and looking on the right track. But yeah. I, I just wanted to point out that offense is a real tough one for me. Absolutely. You would feel a lot better even if like Kirk Cousins were there or oh, absolutely for sure. Realizing force. And I just wonder, is this going to be something we look back in two or three years and we're like, we had, and yes, situations change and we're betting on talent. I get all that, but it's like, I wonder myself included, if we look back and it's like, oh my gosh, like we really overcooked the Denver yeah. situation because they've, they've been searching for quarterback and yet we're going to, they still are. And it really has squandered a lot of this build around a quarterback and give them no excuses with all these high capital picks. And yet they've still kind of underwhelmed because they don't have that driving force at quarterback. For sure. Yeah. And, and Judy is one I've actually come way up on, I think, in the last couple of months as well. I, I think he was significantly lower for me and in my initial ranks with that. But again, it, I, part of this is, is kind of what I'm seeing from a value standpoint. So part of these ranks are where I feel like I have these guys. And part of this is where I feel like the value lies with this. You know, if, if I'm if I'm using this for my own my own range of things versus where maybe I'm you know, somebody else is using these ranks to like make trades or in a startup draft, I think the value, you know, looking at some of these picks and that. So I definitely think there's risk, especially if you invest in both of those guys, um, you know, that they don't get things worked out and, you know, they've got to, they've got to endure a bad year after we lock. But like, like you said, sudden, you know, it's going to be actually looking at a different situation next year with that. And, and again, it, it could be a situation where, you know, he's gone and then, and then Judy and Fant are, you know, running that offense with that. So I think the talent is there on both of those guys. You know, I'm, I'm willing to bet on talent and, and draft capital for both of those guys over, a lot of things. Uh, so so I, th- I do believe in, in both of those guys. But again, like you said, if you're looking at just this year alone in redraft, um, I'd probably definitely have Judy a little bit lower than I, than I do. I, I'm, I'm a big Sutton fan. I think he definitely w- was on that trajectory that c- he can be in that top tier, um, you know, like a Devontae Adams type if he can stay healthy with that. Uh, to start low at tight end, um, a player that <laughs> it feels like there there's a lot of variance here. And part of it is, I like the player. I actually wrote up for football guys the uh, the team preview for for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I was writing up tight ends, you know, and Gronkowski's back, but OJ Howard, he was out targeting and not very close, you know, Gronkowski over the first month of the season. I know Howard's been up and down, but you know, we talk about watching watching games and you know looking at 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 the numbers for fantasy. Howard has been one to produce big plays, look the part like he can stretch the middle and be a dynamic, you know, number two, number three element of a passing game. But they're bringing the band back, you know, with Tampa Bay. It doesn't feel like even if he gets, you know, what's he, what's the upside here? You know, 65, 70 targets For sure. at best. And you've got him way down. And it's I, do. Of, I do. So part of this is that. I, I mean, for part of where he's ranked for me, and maybe he'd be higher, you know, obviously in a different setting of good offense, but oh, I think he would so for much sure. competition yeah. for targets. That, <laughs> but I got to ask Gronkowski over him straight up to me is one that I would have to, I would have to ask for your, uh, for your uh, defense there because Gronkowski looked like a blocker and I know he had a good Super Bowl, He had sparse, good games, but with, if Howard is back and healthy, I'm you're thinking secondary tight end on an offense loaded at wide receiver as well. Yeah. And I think that for me, it comes down to 
tight end just tight end just being a crapshoot, honestly. And, and you know, and I feel like if you can get a, a, a tight end who's going to be reliable for you, even if it's just for a year or two, I think that has a lot of value. You know, because I, I think we we project a lot with these tight ends because it is such a mess to project these guys. I think talent alone, OJ Howard is is a great prospect, and you know, I think him being locked behind you know behind Gronkowski behind those guys, I think has really limited his ceiling with that. But he's one you know long term. I think he's a great you know I think he's somebody, a great target for trades and things too. You know, if, if you're looking, you know, you're not competing in 2021 and, and you're looking to get a guy that could really bust out and take that next step. Um, you know, I think OJ Howard is definitely one of those guys that could do that. But, you know, Gronk, again, looked like a shell of himself to a degree of what he used to be for sure. But but he looked like a competent NFL tight end, you know, in, in a landscape where there's not much out there. And so he started poorly last year, didn't do much, but then finished strong and finished, I think, as a tight end 10, I want to say, in PPR. You know, so I think that that to me, you know, again, if it, it goes it goes to the whole if you're competing now I, I could see him being a valuable asset that you want to hang on to you know as you as you let players develop and part of part of my approach to building teams is is I, is I like to have kind of a you know succession plan of sorts you know in place I like to have a good mix of proven veterans and then guys behind them that are younger that that have the chance to kind of ascend and overtake them with that so so Gronk is one of those guys where you know I don't place a lot of value on this or that sense of things but i think he could definitely be a great stopgap for you potentially but again like you said you know og howard looked a lot better in the year before he got injured and things like that so there's a very real possibility that this year comes around and he's phased out and, and og howard is the guy so uh, i think that's a very real possibility that it's not necessarily factored in and baked in the rankings there so yeah, one strategy point I, I tell people because if you're, if you're in a stock league, you know something like 25 to 28 man rosters, I call that medium depth. That you really can't sit there and have four or five tight ends. Like it's just not conducive to running a team. And that's why, like you were saying, if you have someone stable or a couple options that maybe one's more of the younger upside possibilities, one's more of the guy that you're going to start now, uh, or some blend of that. Maybe you can squeeze out a third guy if you really can make an exception. Like maybe, you know, someone like an Irv Smith a couple of years ago where yeah. I really like the player. It's kind of blocked for now, but I want to make sure that they're not floating out there on someone for else's sure. roster and I'll have to acquire them later. But it's really about being lean and mean if you can be, you know, and obviously if you get premiums involved and especially start two, you got to expand your thinking about roster allocation. But that's always something I, 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 the first thing I do when I look at whether it's a new league or a new team, uh, something like that, it's like, oh my God, like it's a start one quarterback league. You sit there, they got, they got three or four quarterbacks and, and, and four or five tight ends. And you're like, what are we doing here? The next thing you expect to see is two, two, two uh, kickers or, or defenses rostered in the off season as well. Just because it's like you're, you're, you're so much value is being lost because they're not the big flashy positions that are going to garner something in, in a trade, you know, most for sure. Likely. Absolutely. Um, I have a couple candidates, but I was okay. going to ask, I was going to ask you and see if you pick one of them. Okay. So who from the tight ends was your most difficult to value and rank and someone yet you still, I could see, depending on the day, I could move them up a few spots, down a few spots because I go back and forth. That third tier is, is, is all kind of really tough to rank, especially, you know, looking at Hunter Henry, you know, Johnny Smith, I think with that new, new England situation there with, with Cam as the quarterback right now, that just doesn't look pretty. looks like it could be a mess. You know, I think New England's proven they can, they can run that two tight end set effectively, um, you know, in the past, but I, I just, I don't have a lot of faith in Cam. Um, so, you know, 
for me, you know, that's that's a decision that I think is tricky, and you don't really know who is going to step up of either of those guys, or if they just if they kind of bolter each other with that. So that's tricky for me to kind of look at that. Obviously, long term, if they get a different quarterback in place, that can be a great fit for them to both to both thrive in that. Because I think they 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 do different things well. So I think they can coexist there, but I think that makes it tricky for that. Um, uh, you know, Evan Ingram is one that was tough to rank um, just because of. You know, he's got this great profile, did, you know, that's so, so great his rookie year. I um, mean, you know, athletically, he's so talented and gifted, but, you know, he just looked like he was really struggling coming back from West Frank last year and didn't didn't look like himself with that. So, you know, I'm betting on the talent, having him at 10, but at the same time, you know, there's that risk of whether, you know, they brought Kyle Rudolph in and does he just fall off a cliff with that um, this year and, and, and fall behind Galladay and so many others on that, on that team and really, and really struck out with that. You know, Robert Tanyan at the top of that tier there at tight end nine, is another one, you know, he, he performed so well last year, but it was so much touchdown based production with that, that it's, it's hard to replicate that. And so that, that whole group right there of, of, of four tight ends for me is, is really difficult to rank. Um, so final thoughts. Uh, I always have this, you know, a caring and sharing uh, that, that you can, for others to, uh, to potentially benefit. What has this done for you um, over the past few months and a few iterations now of doing dynasty rankings? How is that, you know, the average listener is not going to be someone that's going to, you know, start their own website or have a podcast for years on end. They are managing their teams. What would you say are some of the pros and cons uh, and just sort of the process as someone who's in dynasty leagues, you run your own teams, but if you were to go pen to paper or, you know, a uh, mouse to Excel, Excel and, and actually put out rankings even for yourself, whether anyone see, ever sees it or not. What do you think that would do in terms of managing your teams, clarifying your process about what you feel about players by going through this? Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where, especially being in a handful of leagues, you know, it really has helped me. And especially again, being new to Dynasty, it really has helped me to get a, a grasp of where I value players. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, if I'm going to start a draft or I'm, I'm looking to make a trade, you know, I think you, you can, it's so easy to zero in on one particular player, especially having a tier based approach to things, you know, really helps you kind of see kind of where you see those tier breaks, where, where you see these players and where you see maybe some values versus what maybe the market sees or what, um, you know, your league mates are seeing with this. And it kind of helps you have a strategy going in to know, to feel comfortable with the range, you know, to feel, if, you know, you always say, go get your guys. Sometimes you hear that, you know, and that's true, I think, to a degree, especially in a startup draft. But you also have to play, you know, have to, you know, try to acquire the best value you can for your teams. And so, Knowing and kind of having, you know, your, at least your own thought process in this has really helped me to kind of see that as I've approached a startup draft or as I've approached trades in my leagues to kind of know, okay, maybe I, maybe I can't get this guy. That The person who has this guy on the roster just will not move them or is asking for, you know, an arm and a leg for them. So who's another guy in this range that I think would, would give maybe some, maybe some similar value or production that I could target uh, with this? So I think that's really helped me a lot in, in managing my teams about not getting, you know, married to one particular player. Um, I think it's helped me see, you know, where I value players versus, you know, look, looking at things like, you know, the dynasty ADP and things like that, kind of where I value them against that to see where the, where those target values are. Um, you know, in a start graph I did recently, you know, I knew I was really high, for example, on Sutton and Ayuk is, is one who's been rising for me with that. But, but I knew looking at ADP that I could get those guys later on. And so, you know, I kind of traded around quite a bit in that draft and, and, and acquired several picks and, you know, and drafted, you know, several of those guys in that range and maybe passed on some of the, some of the earlier wide receiver guys, knowing I could get a few of those guys later. So, you know, it's one of those things that really has helped me, I guess, overall refine my process for, for how I approach, 
you know, different aspects of Dynasty from trading to startup drafts and otherwise. Um, how I look at that, I think it's been really helpful for me. Um, it's it's been it's been great to kind of see and share those rankings and, and have some great conversations and have people challenge those things and 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 kind of challenge that and help me look at that again and say maybe maybe I am too high on this guy. Maybe I'm you know drinking the Kool Aid a bit too much with this. I need to go back and look at this again and see this. But but it's been great. I've really enjoyed the process a lot. Yeah, the tactics that you kind of outlined there, which is number one, tiers. Number two, when you actually have something you're going off of, whether that's another site uh, or resource or expert that you you trust or your own. And I always think it's a good a good mix that even if you're looking at someone else's, adjust it a little bit. Where do you see that, that you can make it more custom and personalized uh, for your own uh, value and observational um, and ev- ev- evaluation settings? Um, but when you have tiers and when you start comparing what you think to the market. And we all kind of do that, right? I mean, if you get a trade offer, you sit there and you see, you know, ah, you know, I'm downgrading at quarterback here, but I'm upgrading with a pick or whatever the construction is, you're kind of doing that inherently. But when you, when you see it where it's like, oh, well, I have this guy in tier two and someone offered me someone else in tier two, but I also pick up a pick, you know, or an upgrade somewhere else, it might be a lot easier for you to pull the trigger. I've noticed since, you know, the more I clarify my own process, the easier it is for me to literally see a deal and just go boom, accept, you know, or boom, decline and not do this whole, you know, you sort of, uh, you know, twist your mustache about it for hours on end or be like, yeah, I'm going to sleep on it. And then you wake up in the morning, you still don't know. And every once in a while with deals like that, you'll sit there and press accept, you know, or press decline when really you did like it enough, or you just have that indecision where I think the more you have your own evaluations that, you end up having clarity. I'm not going to say you get it right all the time, but at least then for that moment, that span of time, you have clarity, which is a really good thing because indecisive really leaves you in a lurch. I feel that you, you end up second guessing yourself and then maybe you don't pull the trigger. And then three weeks later, you, you make a makeup deal, right? It's almost like an NBA makeup call where you sit there and you're like, ah, I should have called a foul two possessions ago. And now it's going to be a touchy one. Or it's like, ah, I shouldn't have called that one. Someone gets, just gets raked over the arm and you don't call it. So I, I feel like sometimes we do that in dynasty where it's like, we regret maybe not making this. Oh, I could have got Aaron Rodgers, you know, a few weeks ago, but now you're going to have a makeup call. And it's like, oh, now I'll take a, a middling deal for Baker Mayfield because I wish I had taken one for Aaron Rodgers. So I, I feel like all of that, the more you kind of put into it is the more you get out of it. And I think you're, you've kind of spoken to that a few times uh, during the show. And again, Joseph, I want to thank you for coming on and being transparent uh, by putting it out there in social media is definitely a way to get feedback about your process and and frankly, become one of the rankers out there, which which is always something that is beneficial, more opinions, more viewpoints, and and you got uh, a chance to share a number of those on this show. Do want to remind folks that without advertising, if you could support the show, going over to patreon.com slash UTH, um, a way to get exclusive bonus content. There's a VIP chat as well as a strategy session, uh, many weeks in the off season, as well as weekly in the regular season, a chance to refine opinions uh, with trades and, and get instant feedback I'm in those uh, as well as the chat itself. And also you can sign up as a general manager subscriber over at UTHDynasty.com. Joseph Griffin is available on Twitter at Dynasty Griff underscore FF. Like uh, it sounds like you're committed. Uh, so you're going to have some <laughs> rankings coming out after the NFL draft, correct? That's my plan. Indeed. Excellent. 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 And you heard in this show, 
uh, not too bad behind the mic either. So uh, really great to, uh, to see him, uh, the, the conversation we were able to have and go through all the skill positions. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties.